0: Hello and welcome once again to episode 33 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I am joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So before we get into our main topic, it's time for our Indie App Spotlight. Uh, First up is Worth It by Maxime Mazzone. I hope I got your name right. I'm so sorry if I didn't. Uh, but it's an iOS app that helps you track where your money and accounts are and gives you detailed graphs that help you track and analyze your net worth over time. Worth It even uh, reminds you to update your data so it continues to stay accurate and works across multiple currencies, making it a great way to keep tabs of old accounts and investments you may have otherwise forgotten. Uh, you can support Maxime by becoming a Worth It member, uh, and you can choose uh, to pay anywhere from 10 to $20 for that a year Um, because it's a pay-what-you-want model, which I thought was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. And finally, we have Unwind by Kushagra Agarwal. Um, And once again, I'm sorry about your name. Um, An iPhone and watch app that helps you uh, wake up, focus, and sleep better through mindful breathing exercises. Uh, So it's like the Breathe app on your watch, uh, except it's like way upgraded. Uh, So Unwind coaches you through three guided breathing sessions uh, that are accompanied by beautiful illustrations and sound effects to help you start your day fresh, relax and unwind, or get ready for bed. Unwind is free to download, but also comes with a $5.99 in-app purchase that unlocks all ambiences and gives you uh, access to the full history of your exercises. Uh, So please uh, give it a try and support Kashagra. And if you are an indie developer, we want to hear from you. Uh, please reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion uh, via DM so we can spotlight your app, uh, too, in the future. Uh, so on to our main topic. Uh, we thought it might be a good time uh, to go over uh, everything server-side Swift. So to help uh, focus that a little bit more, uh, Spencer, care to take it away?
1: Yeah, <clears throat> so um, with server-side Swift, you know, as I was kind of thinking about what to talk about for uh, this episode, really one of my big things was, you know, uh, why would someone, your your average iOS developer, uh, want to get into server-side Swift? What is it? You know, it's, it's this thing that's a little bit outside of the realm of uh, the Apple ecosystem, iOS, macOS, uh, you know, that we're all kind of in on the daily, whether it's learning or also for our jobs. So what benefit, you know, is there for you to sort of jump outside of this bubble that we're already so used to with all of the frameworks and everything, Mm -hmm. um, and and learn, right. Um, and one of the biggest things for me was it is this sweet, uh, sort of bridge between what we do know, um, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, Swift and, and objective C and everything. And we're doing that on the daily. And most of us, I think are probably using Swift at this point, uh, Server-side Swift allows us to do things that are still Swift. It's it's in the same language, but uh, with a completely different functionality. So it's, uh, you know, I think of it more or less as web development for iOS developers, where uh, we can do some of those things that they do, uh, front-end development, back-end development, really both of them, um, but we don't have to go through the struggle of learning JavaScript or learning, you know, also more, uh, you know, frameworks like react or something in order to build sort of like a front end and back end, we can already use the language we know. And that's sort of Mm -hmm. what tipped me off to, um, wanting to learn about it was I, when I was learning iOS development really enjoyed also, I thought it was hard at the time, but I enjoyed, um, consuming REST APIs and interacting with them because I thought it was a way for me to get out of, you know, what can I do for my app, but also leverage all of the work that other people have done. So server-side Swift is this cool way to say, okay, uh, I, for example, kind of really the first uh, couple, I don't know, uh, backends that I used that were kind of customizable were, of course, like Firebase, Uh, and CloudKit, which they're great, but they have limitations, both of them. They Mm -hmm. have their own limitations. Um, But you don't have a ton of, um, how would I say this? You don't have, it's not very customizable. CloudKit's pretty dang good. It's, you know, it can do relationships and everything, but there are still some limitations where with Mm -hmm. server-side Swift using something like Vapor, you're basically in control. you can choose to make your server side application just a back-end, just a front end, do both. you know you can make the endpoints and have it do complex operations, not just sending things, getting things uh, in sort of this database, but it can do anything uh, you know and we can we can get into that more, but it really is a little bit more um, flexibility and power to you, the developer, to make whatever you need and to make it fit your needs better, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense.
0: Yeah, That was a lot though. (laughs) (laughs) Great summary. Um, So uh, there is an elephant in the room, and I think most people will ask immediately, is server-side Swift production ready? Is this something that I can go ahead and rely on? Um, And I just want to get that out there that it is 100% production ready. both of my jobs, I have two jobs, uh, both of my jobs have a server-side Swift component to them um, and rely pretty heavily on those components, Um, and it is more or less rock-solid. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about the benefits that you get um, by building a server-side Swift. As you said, Spencer, uh, like it's immediately familiar for you, an iOS developer, but an iOS developer is not necessarily going to make a very robust backend. Like it's a different set of skills that you have uh, when you're designing user interfaces and tweaking those animations to be just perfect is not the same exact set of skills that you would use uh, writing a backend. That said, Mm -hmm. um, once you do get acclimated to that way of thinking, we're going to go a bit into uh, how it's different uh, later. Um, But as you do get acclimated to uh, thinking that way, Uh, There are some benefits to writing your code in Swift over something uh, like Python, which is a very common language for writing backends in JavaScript with Node.js. Swift is a compiled language, which means that you can get a lot of performance out of compiling your code and not necessarily letting it be interpreted um, at runtime. Um, And because Swift is a statically typed language, That means that the compiler can take a lot of optimizations for you and really speed things up. So you can get a lot of performance out of a single Swift instance. Um, And one of the major differences between a a Swift server application compared to a uh, Python server application or PHP or Node or what have you um, is Every request that's coming into your Swift server application on your 20 core uh, server machine is living in that same process. It is not split up amongst a bunch of different processes that don't really communicate with each other um, at all. You just have one process that's running and it's taking care of all of the all the hard work for you um, and combined with some frameworks like Vapor, uh, it really makes it easy for you to just handle a request that's coming in do what you need to do and give it back, um, and you end up with something that's very performant um, at the end of the day. Anything you want to add there?
1: Yeah, no, I just, um, I remember, and this was years ago, so mm-hmm. server-side Swift has been around for about five years now, if I remember right. Yeah, since Swift was open source, they started, you know, making things, and there were, I think, around five or six uh, different uh, kind of server-side Swift uh, frameworks that were all kind of vying for to be Attention. the top dog, right? Right, mm-hmm. And now we're at the point where Vapor uh, is basically the only one that anyone uses anymore. Everyone, uh, including IBM, has kind of canned their own implementations uh, in favor of just kind of supporting Vapor. Um, mm-hmm. And there was this... Um, I guess it was uh, really like a table that showed performance between all of those different frameworks and Node.js. And Node.js never came in first for any of the performance statistics that uh, were there. So it's like uh, memory usage, thread usage, uh, just benchmarks, how many uh, requests per second could it handle, latency, JSON benchmarks, and uh, they were all uh, either beating or... well. Node.js was basically in the middle. It took third place out of five in most of these. And that was four years ago when it was very much a, uh, you know, it it was very new. So I wouldn't be surprised if, like Dimitri's talking about, the uh, benefits of having a compiled language uh, being uh, it being much, much more fast. So the performance is there. It's not like we are kind of on this island where you know, you've got all of the web developers in using all of those different languages that Dimitri mentioned, uh, just absolutely crushing us. This isn't something that is just a fun to have kind of experiment with Swift. It's something that if you really wanted to, uh, you can throw it on Heroku or you could uh, deploy it to AWS. I think even now, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and there's like built-in tools to help you even deploy it yourself. Um, and get something up and running and really you know if you have if you're building an app that needs a back-end you could just write it yourself i think that's mm-hmm. a really cool um benefit with it um i personally i would use it for that i'm not sure i would front-end development is a little bit less interesting to me but like dimitri said you get type safety right um mm-hmm. there are you can you can either use something like Vapor's Own Leaf uh, as it's sort of this templating engine where you can combine HTML with these tags to kind of let things be dynamic within the HTML. Or you could go a route like John Sundell's um, Plot. To, is it Plot? Yeah. Or I, I forget which of the three there it is. Yeah, Plot. Where you're writing Swift code, but then it will translate it into HTML uh, for you to display. And you get that type safety of making sure that Know you're not uh, forgetting to close a tag or or misspelling the tag. So some really cool things on that front as well that I just wanted to to mention before we move on.
0: Mm-hmm. And and to give it a little bit more context, so Vapor helps you build web applications, which you typically see whenever you need a REST API. Um, but it's not limited to that. You can also right. go ahead and use WebSockets with Vapor um, mm-hmm. and get access to that that direct stream, which is very very powerful. Um, and it, it makes it very easy to set that up. So for instance, in Vapor, if you have an API with like three endpoints, you just have to basically say this endpoint gets this function and you're going to do something in that function and give back a result. Um, and as Spencer said, since Swift is, uh, is statically typed, um, you get type safety throughout that entire process, which means that you have less bugs in production than other languages. Other languages, you might have a more or less working thing, and then one endpoint is completely broken, does not compile. Um, You wouldn't even know until someone hits that endpoint. Um, With Swift, it catches that. It won't even let you progress, basically, um, until you fix that, um, which means that your service is going to be a lot more... um, Is going to be uh, what's the word? A lot more stable um, over time uh, because Swift is helping you make it stable. It's helping you like know what happens when there's an error. It's not just going to throw an error willy nilly. You need to do something with the error, right? So you can pass it on. That's your choice, or you can handle it and show uh, a better error to the user and not just throw a 500 error um, and have the user just be confused that the server is not working. Um, So. I think that's that's one of the the big selling points uh, for something like Vapor. Um, and as Spencer said, like if you were an iOS developer, you can jump right into this. It's not it's, it runs in Xcode. Uh, you can yep. hit build in Xcode, and it will just start up a server, and it will log in the console. Hey, point Safari towards this, or point your app towards this, and you're good to go. Um, and you can you have a local development environment just right then and there that you can go ahead and use. Um, And I think that's a completely separate selling point. Most of these uh, server-side development stuff, you are putting this on a server and you're hoping that everything works. And if something doesn't work, you log it and then you check the logs and you have to go (laughs) through that cycle, put it back on the server, uh, have 50 commits of uh, maybe this fixes it. Um, Whereas with this, since you have Xcode, you can put a breakpoint wherever you want and you can just stop everything like your app is waiting it it can wait 60 seconds for the request to come back so you have 60 seconds or more you can configure it's your app so you can make your app wait as long as you want um but you can basically have full control over what the app is doing your server app is doing in that whole process and i think that is magical like having a full debugger uh is really game changing for a lot of things because then there's no more ambiguity as far as what's going on with What do the variables look like? You can see exactly what that is. You don't have to log it to a file and then hope that file does not get over uh, 50 gigabytes large and then cause your server to run out of room. Like, forget about all that. You have something that's much more powerful um, at your fingertips, and I think that is uh, one of the biggest selling points, honestly, um, past anything else. Um, And uh, one other thing I want to mention before we do move on is there are other compiled languages like Go and Rust, um, and Swift is basically in that same ballpark. Um, Those languages, I feel like, are more tailor-made towards certain things, whereas Swift is very general. um, And if anything, it's tailor-made towards iOS development. Um, But, again, you can use everything you know from iOS development, like date, UUID, even (laughs) URL session if you really wanted to. There are alternatives that are a bit faster. Um, but JSON serialization, like JSON encoder and decoder, all of that yeah. still works. Like if you have, uh, a, a library, you can use the same library on your server side and on your app side. So I think that is excellent. So that's vapor to build, um, like a web backend. Of course, there are other solutions as well. Like you mentioned before Spencer plot, um, which is a component to, Johnson uh, John Sandell's published which is a static site generator. So it allows you to make something for the web, but it doesn't necessarily run any code on a server. Um, It's all entirely in Xcode on your computer. You hit build and run, and it will generate a website for you based on the Swift code that you wrote to stylize your website. Um, So we use that for codecompletion.io, and it works perfectly great for something simple like that, which means that the Web server, which in this case is Apache or something like that, uh, can go ahead and just statically serve files uh, that are pre-generated, and that is all done using Swift as well. Um, and like the web and servers are not limited to like the uh, web server category; like you can write any right. kind of server you want if you drop down to Swift Neo, which is non-blocking I/O, um, and that's an open-source framework that Apple uh, publishes. Uh, that fully uh, backs things like Vapor um, and makes all that possible. Uh, and you can write whatever um, protocol you want on top of that. It doesn't have to be HTTP. It can be literally anything. It will take care of the uh, A- the TLS, I think, the SSH and the TLS, right. transport layer security, yeah, TLS. Um, it can take care of all that for you, so then you just have to concentrate on what your um, protocol is designed to do, whether that's a real-time video uh, and all of that So uh, I think that's that's the really cool thing about everything that's being built is there's a bunch of server-side components that all fit into each other um, and they're all building upon each other so no one's kind of working in isolation anymore. vapor is the web backend for Swift development like you don't have to go hunting, for which one do I use? Which one is better or not? Um, it's <laughs> and built it's on not going to change Neo every year. And, yeah. Um, it's built on Swift Neo. And everything else server-side is built on Swift Neo. So it all plugs in. Uh, if you want to do tracing, which I found out recently, is super cool. It basically allows you to see every request that's coming in as it goes from server to server to server and back. And you can see the uh, cool graphs on like the Amazon web portal and stuff like that. And you can know exactly what went wrong when you weren't looking at it so it records all this stuff um so things like that just plug into everything um and you can go ahead and use them across all sorts of different packages and i think that's that's the real cool thing and about the maturity of server-side swift is that it is getting mature and you do have a lot of uh packages in this ecosystem that are all working together
1: yeah that's that's a huge part, uh, and like exactly like you said, with uh, both Swift Package Manager, everything uses the Swift Package Manager at this point. Mm-hmm. We, we're finally getting out of the hell that is CocoaPods and everything, so that's <laughs> awesome. Um, going back to what you said about you know the stability, um, mm-hmm. not only are you able to put breakpoints, but taking it further, um, it. it not just this isn't a Vapor specific thing, but you can mm-hmm. have unit tests for your server side code. Have yeah. it test like that's the coolest thing to me is, uh, you know, when you're just doing manual tests, like it's awesome to have breakpoints, and we all do that. You can you know go even further and just say, hey, I just made this new feature, just like you would on an iOS app. There's nothing different. Let's run some unit tests, or let's write some more unit tests, and have it all run within Xcode. So. There's a benefit there as well, where we get the testing that we're used to and it just uses XCTest. And I think there's mm-hmm. a, a specific library that uh, they've made for Vapor to help the testing of Vapor itself, but ultimately it's it's just using XCTest. So uh, that's super cool as well. And like you said, uh, Swift packages are amazing because people are coming up with different packages. Um, for example, one that I used on uh, a project that didn't actually end up going anywhere uh at lambda school was uh hooking in really easily to amazon s3 right for mm-hmm. for for storage um you've got that you've got um pre um plot which uh, again is john sundell's kind of temp- or engine to help you write html there was um I forget what it was called. I think it was just called HTTP-Swift or something, or HTML-Swift, I can't remember. But you know, people are writing, because this is all open source, they're all writing their own uh, helpers and uh, ways to extend the functionality of Vapor beyond what it you know can do in a basic sense, which is actually quite a lot. But you can always, like Dimitri said, write whatever you need to, maybe not even having to drop down to Swift Neo, but doing whatever mm-hmm. you need to, you have an idea to to make it better. You could submit to Vapor itself, uh, submit a PR, or just you know have kind of a separate framework that people can use and import. Um, mm-hmm. Are we done talking about Vapor? Can I mention one other thing real quick? You go for it. Okay, I just wanted to mention you know because we talked about this being a backend, and I think that's probably its most common use. Not necessarily a good or bad thing. Is mm-hmm. it supports a wide range of different uh databases. So you've got mm-hmm. uh you know no you've got SQLite, you've got uh MySQL, uh Postgres, and I think now MongoDB. it supports MongoDB as mm-hmm. well, which is awesome. You've got a bunch of options. So if you uh want a you know uh they just call it a no database like a non-relational database, you can do that. You can use uh, SQLite if it's just something super light. It, you can have it running Postgres. Uh I've used all three of those and it's awesome. Um mm-hmm. And the coolest
0: thing about those is they are built on Swift features. So you can use property wrappers to annotate what your object looks like in the database. So you write your struct and then you say, okay, this property is tied to this field in the database. This property is tied to that field. And then the framework takes care of a lot of the details for you um, and allows you to just bootstrap that development. So that way you you don't need to know really what MongoDB is doing in the background, you can just annotate everything and you have a basic database. Of course, yeah. to get good and to like really eke out any performance, you need to know what MongoDB is actually doing, but um, the foundations are there to get started quickly and the toolbox is there for you to really uh, pop open the panel and start tweaking uh, values and requests and things like that so that way you can eke out as much performance as you need.
1: Yeah. I think of it more or less as what core data does for us, right? It's all using Definitely. SQL databases behind the scenes or SQLite by default, but mm-hmm. you know, you're know, you never going in and going into the tables or anything and, and doing anything there. It's just all kind of abstracted out for you. And like Dimitri said, the best part is really between all of those, uh, I I don't believe there's really any difference as far as... The model layer goes. There's a little bit of setup that you have to do depending on which database you use, Mm -hmm. but other than that, the um, the property wrappers are all the same, and it's made really easy. It's using key paths, and you're really not getting into very many stringly typed things. You're, you know, it's it's pretty clean and uh, swifty, which is again awesome because that's that's what we're used to. We're used to type safety. We're used to using key paths, so nothing really feels out of the ordinary other than getting maybe used to the framework itself and the file structure because that's different it's just in a package it's not this xcode project itself mm-hmm. but overall the learning curve is much much less than if you were to go out and try to learn you know front end or back end development with just a normal language that you would do like python php or whatever so
0: mm-hmm. yeah definitely pre pre service swift i i have a few services that are written in PHP and I'm terrified of needing to go back and maintain that because I don't remember how any of that works. <laughs> right. And every single time I needed to write a new one, I would go buy the most recent book um, of like what PHP and MySQL currently looks like because it's been five years since the last time I even touched any of it. So yeah. it, is, it is definitely refreshing to use something that you use daily uh, to build these components especially if there's something simple and small like if you need to uh, deal with uh, in-app purchases you don't need to use revenue cat the only part of in-app purchases that you need a server for is to verify the receipts and make sure that everything looks good you can write yourself a really simple server-side swift uh app that does just that and it would probably be less than 500 lines of code to be honest um because it's just that trusted third party that is accessing Apple servers rather than your app that can be spoofed in a million different ways if you cared mm-hmm. about uh, that authenticity for each in-app purchase. So it can be really something simple like that, um, and it's it's really dead simple to kind of get started with that. Um, as you mentioned before, Spencer, we keep rewinding a little bit because we keep mentioning <laughs> something, um, but then we have something to add. Uh, so rew- rewinding a little bit, uh, you mentioned that, Uh, it's really easy to add things to Vapor. Uh, And I want to reiterate that. Vapor is not like UIKit. It's not a framework that you import and then it's just a black box. It is code that you import via Swift Package Manager, which means that if you have a breakpoint in one of your methods, you see all of Vapor's stack history. And you can just go up the chain uh, and see the code that the Vapor devs um built that got you to that point um and you can either use this to learn from it or if you need to make something that's slightly different than what the defaults provide you you can go ahead and just build that all the code is there all the code is very well documented Um, and there's a high level of uh like competency that went into building these projects they're not just like half half put together and just like thrown to uh the winds they're all documented The code itself is documented and clear and easy to read um, and it's really easy to go ahead and add any extra functionality that you just might be missing Um, so i myself like ran into a few roadblocks and it took less than a day or two to get comfortable with the code that was there have a modification ready submit a pr go back and forth a few times to get everything that's needed for that to be pushed in and then it was merged in um so uh, if If you're missing anything from from the frameworks and if you have a unique thing that you're building, you're sure to be missing something. But the foundation is really solid and it's easy to build on, and it's easy to just push that upstream and have that be part be something that everyone can then go ahead and use afterwards. So um I think that is that is a great uh, thing to have.
1: yeah, I mean, just going back to your point of you know it being very well maintained. I don't know if this is still true, but for a while there, there was someone that was working full time on Vapor, even though it is open source, there are uh, contributors who are, uh, you know, donating money. I think there are actually a few companies as well that are sort of more or less smaller companies, not like IBM. Yeah, they're sponsoring it, Mm -hmm. which is amazing. So. Um, and it's very, very actively, uh, it's very active in development. There are mm-hmm. PRs going in all the time, not just from the, the normal maintainers, but also just people in the community. Uh, and that's the best part about it being open source. Like Dimitri said, you have access to the full stack trace. You can see everything that you need to. Uh, if you don't understand something, go look at the source code. It's not this black box, like Dimitri said. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Um, do you have anything to add before we move on?
0: Uh, and one last thing to mention about <laughs> contributing to open source. Uh, it is a great way to uh, meet other developers. And if you're looking for work, uh, it's a very easy way to get your foot in uh, the proverbial door. Um, so if you do contribute to open source, it's easy to put that in your resume. It's code that anyone could look up, um, especially if like there's a PR and you were... Uh, you were polite and you had good code, like that is the optimal scenario for you to to get new opportunities, um, especially if you're just getting started and you don't have a ton of experience that's directly listed as like working for a company A, B, or C kind of thing. Um, so if you are looking for work, uh, helping out on open source projects, especially server-side Swift uh, projects, is a great way to get a lot of eyes on what you're doing and it's a great way to communicate with the teams that are working on stuff. And guess what, if you are actively there, hopefully for your own project that you're kind of putting together uh, and not just blindly like ticking off issues. uh, But if you're actively there and there's an opening and you apply for it, they recognize who you are. Like that Mm -hmm. is an easy way to just fly through the process um, and get an offer. Quickly, I mean, assuming you're writing good code, um, but, like, those are relationships that you're building.
1: Yeah, and at the absolute least, you are learning. Exactly. So, not win, really win, a downside. Win. Yeah, I mean, it's it's time, but other than that, it's pretty dang good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, moving on kind of with Vapor, but also tying in uh, WWDC, uh, Async Await is finally coming uh, mm-hmm. to you know, iOS and everything, but also, uh, it's now going to come to things like Vapor. So, um, Tim, I think it's Condon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I can't remember. I don't know exactly how you spell it. Uh, he has, he's one of the main maintainers of Vapor right now, Mm
0: -hmm. and
1: he's put together a branch of Vapor, uh, using async weight. So you could go ahead and, you know, try it out and use it right now. Um, unfortunately I, I wanted to look at that today before the podcast I didn't have time though. Um but let's kind of do a compare and contrast between async await and what is there right now in vapor itself.
0: Mhm. So I guess let's let's back up even more and uh let's explain like how different is server side development than iOS development. So sure. one thing you're immediately going to run smack into a wall of uh, is what is a promise and what is a future? And what are <laughs> yes. like why do I have to do this crazy uh, thing? Like there's closures and closures and closures and closures. like what is going on? I am lost. This seems hard. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, so <laughs> that that may be the sequence of thoughts that you have like jumping into uh, backend development, especially as you get into the more complicated areas of what you're trying to do. Um, but, uh, let's, let's go ahead and define some terminology. So Spencer, what is a future?
1: Yeah. A future is more or less this way, this thing that says, uh, for example, let's say you, you have a request where you, uh, are, it's, it's a get request to the server and maybe you want to get some JSON, some JSON Mm -hmm. representing a model object, right? Uh, what would happen in the function that you write would say, okay, um, you know, func get my model object or whatever it would return this thing called a future with your model object, uh, wrapped inside of it kind of mm-hmm. more or less like an optional would, mm-hmm. uh, what that means though, is that, uh, it says I will, I, I have this sort of, uh, thing that I will have in the future, but I don't mm-hmm. have it yet, but I might, right. It's this like mm-hmm. very nebulous concept where, uh, It's kind of like an optional. It might be there, but it might not be at any given time. And so what it will do is it will say, I'm going to, I am the, I is the developer. I'm going to write this function that says how to get from nothing to that something, whatever it is, in this case, maybe a model object. Mm -hmm. And eventually it will uh, fulfill the future and say, yes, I have this thing now. Let's now give this back to whoever's requesting it. Remember that everything that we're doing, well, not everything, but for example, a, a URL request to a server is very much asynchronous. That's why we're always mm-hmm. using, uh, you know, on, on the iOS side, we're using background queues. It, we don't know how long it's going to take. And so the future is really the thing that bridges this. Maybe I have a thousand requests coming in at once and I have to, you know, fulfill all of these requests. Or maybe I have one. It do, I, We don't really know. And so it's this, this nebulous amount of time. And so the future is saying... I will give you this thing back just like give me some time and eventually I'll give it back to you. That was kind of mm-hmm. a long explanation. but
0: Yeah, so a future is an object that you get back when you make a request and it doesn't exist yet. But it allows your code to continue working and doing other stuff um, and chaining onto that future. So that's what I was talking about before Whether you have closures inside closures inside yeah. closures. You don't have to end up with that. So basically a lot of uh, Swift Neo, so this is part of Swift Neo which everything is built on, um, but a lot of the, these asynchronous requests, they all return futures, and it immediately allows you to chain from one future to another. So once you get your future back, you can go ahead and add a closure to that future to say, okay, when the future is ready, go ahead and do this code. And that code will return a future, which means that after that code, you can add another chain to that sequence um, where it says, okay, when that future is ready, run this code. And then ultimately, you have one final future, and in in v- Vapor, for instance, you would return that future, and then Vapor is going to hold on and wait for that entire sequence of events to finish, um, and then when it's ready, it will just send it out. Um, so, all your responsibility is really is uh, to set up that chain um, mm-hmm. and to transform what you're trying to do into a chain of events um, that. Uh, need to wait for some values, because when you make a database request, that takes time. Uh, So you're going to be given a future, and then you just have to say, okay, I got my future, let me put another request on top of that future for when it's ready.
1: Yeah. It's very much, I think of it as um, maybe a little bit more of an asynchronous way of doing, or a more asynchronous way of this example. But, uh, you know, if you just think about what happens when you get, uh, some, let's say JSON back, uh, from a URL session request, right. comes mm-hmm. back as, as data. Then you have to turn it into, uh, JSON. Let's say you're using J- JSON serialization. It comes back, you know, as JSON, you have to turn that into a dictionary. Then you have to turn that into your model object or something. It's this multi-layer process or multi-step process. And the futures are more of more than anything, just an asynchronous way of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, more or less using this kind of builder pattern to just chain things on top of each other. Um, Which, honestly, the code isn't terrible, but like you said, there are closures within closures. And, you know, you start making requests to the databases, then you start sorting and filtering and maybe having to, I don't know, do whatever, uh, you end up with quite a few layers of this or you can with closures.
0: Mm -hmm. And before it clicks, it's going to be messy. I can guarantee you because uh, Swift is going to freak out at one point. Like, I don't know what type any of this is anymore uh, because you accidentally deleted a curly brace. Uh, So I give up, and then you, the developer, are like, I also give up, and then you (laughs) you sleep on it a little bit. Uh, That's how it's going to feel like when you start uh, dealing with this. However, uh, when you do get used to it, and it does click in your head because it will eventually click, um, you are able to write seemingly very uh a very nice and polished like chains of closures and they're not inside of each other they're just one after another yeah Uh, and it's gonna be like oh how did i not get to this before why like why did it not why doesn't it look so polished um so
1: just think about like the first time that uh you know you were trying to learn the delegate pattern or the first Mm -hmm. time that you were trying to learn how uh, completion closure worked it's the same thing where you're like this is so weird but then you get used to it and you're like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. this is no big deal.
0: And as, as Spencer mentioned, this is where uh, Swift's new Async Await kind of comes in. You soon, and like this is not yet, um, and uh, for all sorts of reasons, uh, Swift Neo can't go ahead and be rebuilt on top of Async Await and uh, it doesn't directly support it aside from a few helper uh, methods. Um, But in things like Vapor, soon you will be able to just use uh, async await in those requests. So for instance, if you have a function that is listening for requests on uh, slash authenticate, for instance, uh, that might be an endpoint that you have on your server. Um, Traditionally, you might have needed to start off a, you need to wait for the data to come in and to decode that. It might be a big JSON, so you need to wait for it. So that's one a uh, future, then you need to kick off a database uh, transaction to get the user's record. That's a second one. Uh, then you need to communicate with another server to see if the user can access a resource, uh, and so on and so forth. So you might have a few futures kind of like intermingled there. Um, what async await uh, now allows you to do is you can go ahead and await the JSON data being available and just store that in a variable. And then on your next line, await the database transaction and just store that in a variable. And then on the next line, await the resource that you need to fetch and then store that in a variable. And you have three lines and like your whole business logic is kind of there uh, and happy. So um I think that kind of fixes like it's it's always useful to know what's going on under the hood with like mm-hmm. futures um and we didn't even talk about promises but basically a right. promise is a way of making synchronous code asynchronous you basically promise to return something and then sometime in the future you return it and you can go ahead and switch threads and stuff like that so it's it's an underlying building block and you you have futures and promises with the underlying building blocks of async await and swift you just generally never need to access them unless you're building up a framework yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you're just consuming other frameworks, super easy to do. Uh, You can get done in very few lines of code just by putting a weight on all those requests. And um, I think that is really going to make this super easy to start using.
1: Yeah, I think it'll just make it much more approachable because you're right. Um, it, It really is like futures and promises that are the holdup. And they were the holdup for me uh, in learning this, that was the, by far the hardest thing. But once mm-hmm. you get past that, you know, it's no big deal. You're learning another framework just like you do learning core data for the first time or learning, you know, part of whatever. It's it's just another framework. Again, same language. That's the best part. Um, same tools, yeah. So, so. so, yeah, same tools, right? We're all in Xcode. We can do command R. We can do command period to stop it. It, it all just feels natural and sort of native, right? Um, mm-hmm. So there's less mental overhead there of trying to learn how to use VS code or, or whatever, right? Um, so yeah, I, I really, I think this is probably the thing that to me is uh, the most exciting thing on the open source front that I really, really enjoy. Uh, just so much potential there. It's a tool I actually would use. Um, and it, it's really fun. Like you can You know, you've seen probably all seen the, um, you know, whatever API, like the Pokemon API or the Star Wars API, Mm -hmm. it would not be that hard to, to build that out. If you had a bunch of information, if you wanted to make, I don't know, uh, an, like a Mac, uh, history API or something, if you had that information compiled already, it would not be hard at all to throw those in a a file. Exactly. You can just throw Throw them in a JSON JSON file. file,
0: let it live in memory. It's, yeah. Your app is not getting shut down between requests. It's living exactly. There. So you can just throw that in data, and it's, it's freely available. Everything you yeah. know about coding, about accessing arrays and data and JSON and dictionaries, all of that applies. Um, yep. With a sprinkle of concurrency that makes your life difficult <laughs> because requests can come in uh, all over the place. Uh, and uh, servers tend to have lots of cores, which always makes things fun. Uh, but uh, there are some good building blocks and tutorials out there to kind of help guide you on how to do that properly. And uh, now with async await, that's made even easier. Um, so it's something really cool to look forward to.
1: Yeah, we're we're now like we talked about at the point where Vapor's basically one out in sort of this server side Swift uh race i suppose for uh you know as a, as a web framework so all of the resources not just on the development of it but the tutorials like dimitri said they're all going towards vapor so you're not kind of competing uh, other people are competing to make tutorials on different frameworks it's all going to vapor there's a ton of resources to help you learn um including like the one that i use to learn i i think it's been updated they're pretty good about updating it is um the Ray Wenderlich book, mm-hmm. it's awesome. It was uh, co-written by, at the time, um, I, I forget if it's Tanner Logan. Uh, I think it's Tanner. Mm-hmm. Tanner Mitchell, I... if I remember right. I can't re- quite remember.
0: Either way, it's been rewritten by Tim. So,
1: <laughs> Yeah, and and now rewritten by Tim, who are and were... The main maintainers of Vapor, so it's it's coming straight from the source. You know, it, you know, it's as close to Apple documentation for UIKit as you could get for Vapor. Uh, so awesome resource! It's got some great tutorials, and it goes from you know very basic. How, here's how to uh, return something from a GET uh, request to building out a database, deploying it. Um, I think it goes into testing as well. It's a great book, and there are others from other people as well. That's just the one that I use. So. Uh, like Dimitri said, it's it's nice to have this async await, but if you're interested, I would say don't even wait until async await is really kind of a part of Vapor uh, in an official capacity. Go mm-hmm. ahead and learn it right now and learn about futures because ultimately that's that's what's happening under the hood, and you you know it's good to know about what's going on there. And again, it takes a little time, but you'll definitely get it, and it won't be you know much of a stumbling block anymore.
0: Yeah, um, so to give some context to what you just said in terms of, like, waiting, uh, the async await stuff for the server-side community is kind of in beta up until iOS 15 chips later this year. Um, So as the tools kind of uh, get churn and exposure and people start trying stuff out, um, that is when Vapor is also going to be modifying and changing its APIs uh, to better... Um, uh, to better work with async await and stuff like that so uh, it is going to be changing so it's almost better to kind of go in with what is there currently get used to that and then when async await kind of comes freshly baked uh, and perfect at the end of the no october oven uh, whenever new iphones come out uh, that's usually when the os's are kind of done um, whenever that stage is there then you can go ahead and start using it and it will, it will feel refreshing because you mm. will have used the old stuff um, and you'll see the, how much better the new stuff uh, can be, um, especially if, as people have uh, started using it um, and then in terms of Swift Neo uh, they can't use um, uh, Async Await at a fundamental level because it's not uh, quite geared and fast enough to fully support what they're doing Um, However, uh, there are other features to the Swift's concurrency story that are coming, um, likely in Swift 6. And when that time comes, they will be rewriting a significant portion of that underhood and that underbelly uh, for things like Vapor to then start using. Um, And at that point, we will likely not see promises and features anymore. Um, But Mm -hmm. that will take some time. Like we've been on Swift 5 for, I think, a year, more than a year, right?
1: More than a year, yeah. Like this
0: is year two or three of Swift five, um, yeah. I believe. So uh, it's going to be a while until Swift six gets here. But it's like the the fact that it's not being rushed is appreciated, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's it's something that will come little by little, uh, and it's not going to come immediately. Uh, just like in iOS and macOS development, you can't just go ahead and use async await if your app needs to run on older OSs. It's going to be a while until you can really start using it, especially if you already have an app out. Um, and that's fine. Like you don't need yeah. to jump on the new and shiny, especially when the new and shiny can change. See Swift UI one, like a ton of stuff <laughs> like yeah. changed and got deprecated. Swift UI two was glorious by comparison, and Swift UI whatever we have uh, right now and that was just announced uh, this past week um kind of is a uh well-built thing that you can build pretty much anything on top of so um just like with that it's going to take a while for this to really mature um so keep an eye out for it like play around with it uh but don't feel like you need to jump all in because you don't you can take your time uh yeah. you can wait for it to mature a little bit more um and we've vapor and I even... itself
1: to be clear paper itself is is you know in, in that sense quite mature where yeah, it's already jump four into years that, old. Mm-hmm. we're talking specifically about async await here.
0: Yeah. Um, and I, I even mentioned last episode that like a combine might be uh, at its final steps because async yeah. await is uh, replacing it. Um, and I, that just shows how little I know about combine. So combine actually provides a bunch of primitives for transforming your data at each step of the way. Uh, so async await is likely to make combine better uh, and more useful because then you no longer need nice. to chain these promises and futures that combine uh vended um so publishers and stuff like that those are futures um yeah so you you can then go ahead and chain them with async await instead of um the native stuff um that combine started with um so this all makes combine better uh, and the reason combine is not seeing much is because it had it's just a set of functionality it doesn't need to grow over time um it's just being maintained as part just like foundation is like uh, array is not necessarily changing year over year like its internals right. are getting better uh, and it's likely the same for combined so um, I, I take back what I said last time about uh, it being uh, a good thing that I never looked into it I probably should have looked into it because there are a ton <laughs> of useful things that Combine makes possible uh, and maybe now is an excellent time to look into it because async await makes it uh, nice and easy to use and not this foreign uh, weird thing just like server side development might be this week's episode is brought to you by hungry hungry that's hungry with three u's is the iphone ipad and apple watch app you turn to when you really want to eat but are blinded by the multitude of choices available to you and your insatiable hunger hungry isn't here to help you discover new restaurants or flavors no it has a much more humble purpose you tell it all about your favorite restaurants and it will deploy its cryptographically advanced random number generator invoked by shaking your phone in frustration, to make the decision of what to eat for you. Stuck at home in quarantine and sick of ordering pizza? Use Hungry. Did Hungry just suggest pizza again? Don't fret, as options for another cuisine, a cheaper option, something closer, or simply another option are just a button away. Hungry also comes with a collection of fun animated iMessage stickers so you can share your hunger with others. Thanks again to Hungry for sponsoring our show. Search for Hungry, that's H-U-U-U, N-G-R-Y, on the App Store today to give it a try. So now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. It's been a while since we last had one, so let's go over our last one one more time. Spencer?
1: All right. Uh, Yeah, so we have uh, five overloaded methods. Uh, The first takes a generic argument of type binary floating point. The second, uh, a generic argument of type uh, binary floating point and decodable the third a generic argument of type decodable the fourth an argument of type double and a fifth uh, sorry and a fifth a generic argument of type numeric uh, in this method sorry if this method were called with the double as an argument which order would swift would the compiler the swift compiler uh, rank the overloaded methods when determining which one to call so that's that's kind of the prompt there uh, this is a bit tricky uh, but Swift prefers the, the most specific overrides first. So in this case, 4 would be preferred, followed by 2, then 1, 3, and then 5. Uh, however, if 4 and 2 were uh, were omitted, uh, it would be ambiguous whether 1, 3, or 5 would be chosen. So the Swift compiler would give an error and force you to choose uh, using uh, as numeric, for instance. So that would be... Uh, Last week's prompt and, and kind of uh, answer there. Uh, so, this week's prompt is uh, we have kind of a different trivia challenge for you. So, given a function called do the cool thing that takes two parameters, uh, name and food, uh, and returns a cooler thing, which key command in Xcode will build a template documentation comment for this function?
0: So, uh, can you complete the code? So, tweet your answers to us with hashtag. Uh, complete the code all one word. Uh, the first to get it right will get a shout out on next week's show. Um, and it's it's kind of inspired by. I don't know if we mentioned all the cool new things in Xcode 13 uh, last week, uh, but uh, Doc C uh, is a new format that uh, Apple is uh, pushing, and it seems to be exactly what they used to build their very first SwiftUI uh, tutorials um, like two years ago. Uh, so if you enjoyed those tutorials, you can make the same like tutorial style very easily in Xcode thirteen using the new doxy format, which is a documentation compiler. Uh and it will just run on uh in a web break in a web page or directly within Xcode um and makes it really easy to make tutorials and documentation. Um and like it's awesome. Uh That's so exciting. Yeah, I'm I'm totally looking forward to kind of scrapping my I have like a, a 200 page pages document that describes the protocol we use at work and it is a mess to maintain so you know how like in pages you can make a link to a different section it Mm -hmm. takes pages 10 seconds to load the list of bookmarks that I have set up it's just such a large document Um, it's very nice looking (laughs) I'll give it that Uh, but yeah it is a mess to maintain so I am totally looking forward to this and just moving everything over peace that'll be nice <laughs> because then it's just gonna be a lot easier to maintain uh and to no make links between things so yeah uh in any case uh as always i want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week be sure to follow us on twitter at code completion to know when new episodes get released uh and feel free to tweet at us if there's a topic you'd ever like for us to dig into Uh, And most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are interested in any part of the process of app development. Uh, Go, uh, Even if you don't use Apple Podcasts, go to Apple Podcasts uh, and subscribe and give our show five stars uh, or leave a review uh, that tells uh, us how we should change uh, the podcast if you don't like it and you don't think we deserve five stars. Um, (laughs) Whatever you feel like needs to be done. Uh, but do go ahead and uh, share your support uh, there um, and then continue using your regular podcast player because Apple Podcasts uh, has been very broken lately. In (laughs) any case, uh, once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis. That's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.